right. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says it's spoken of here in this in the New Testament. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and receiving of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20, and he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and set down the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, I'm going to hand out these handouts at this time. So if you brethren will give these to the ushers and hand them out. And my subject here today is why Jesus closed the book. Why he closed the book. It may sound like it's just a, just a, a, past, a thing that they always did, but this, there's a reason that Jesus closed the book here. And I want to talk to you about the Lord here in a way that I feel like that God would have us to understand his great love and mercy and goodness to all of us. Praise the Lord. If you do not remember any other Bible lesson I have taught this year, don't forget this one. Don't forget this one. Why Jesus closed the book. And those are the lessons that's being handed out to you now, right now at this time. Praise God. I'm going to put the one on the screen here so we can see it. Disconnected. Is this one hooked up? I don't know what to do here, so I guess we don't have the, the lesson. Anyhow, you got the lesson in your hand. But I've got some other overheads I want to show you later on in the service here. This is very pertinent to what we're going to talk about. Luke 14, 16, 21 is the verse we just got through reading to you. Why Jesus closed the book. Look at number one here on the screen. If you guys could work on that and solve this problem. It, oh, I see it up there. Oh, I, I see it up there, but I don't see it on this screen. All right. There are 27 passages of scriptures in the Old Testament that prophesies the coming of the Messiah. I'm reading from number one here. But they differ drastically in the purpose of his coming. For instance, and we've got A and B here that I'm going to give you here, and I want you to look very closely here with me. 
He would come in a lowly and subservient fashion. That was prophesied that he would come that way. Now I'm going to read some scriptures here so that we can verify what we're talking about and get into our thought here because I've got some very good things to give to you here tonight. So if you look in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah 9, verse 9. And uh, he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly. Look at that lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, we, we mentioned this when we talked about it last week in the gospel books where Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, this is not characteristic of a king riding into his city where he is king. But this was prophesied in Zechariah that he would ride in this way, in this fashion. and said, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee he is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt the foal of a donkey and I explained that all last week to you now this is a scripture that prophesies of his coming as a lowly subservient fashion to give you another scripture look in Psalms 22 6 Psalms 22 6 and this is a prophecy of Jesus uh, on the cross and uh, this is where how Jesus felt on the cross. Look, verse 6, 22, 6. And it simply reads here. I'm going to read 6 through 8. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. <clears throat> Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. And this is exactly what happened at Calvary. All of this happened exactly that same way. And it was prophesied over here that he would be in a very lowly, a lowly humble fashion. They would despise him. Another scripture I'll refer to here, and there are many others, but I'm just, just hitting a few of them here. This is Micah 5, 1. Micah 5, 1 and 2. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Isn't that something? But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. We're talking about the ruler of Israel here. Whose goings have been from day from uh, been from of old, from everlasting. Now these two these verses you're familiar with. This is the description here of him being born in Bethlehem, and as you well know, he was born in a in a stable, laid in a manger because there's no room in the inn. A very humble birth. Do you understand what we're pointing out to you here? Now this was all prophesied all through the Old Testament that the Messiah would come in this fashion. I'll read one other verse of Scripture in Isaiah 53, and then we'll move on here. Look in Isaiah 53, 2 and 3. It says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. 
He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we shall desire him. This is showing you the contempt they had for Jesus when he came and how that he was rejected by them. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Now, what I've shown you here are verses that describes Messiah coming in a very humble, humble fashion as Jesus did. Uh, and there are other scriptures. I've only given you just a few of them here. There, as I mentioned before, there's at least 24, 27 verses of passage of scripture that I'm aware of that I, haven't, that I have marked in my Bible. And, uh, and so it goes on to talk about that. Now go to B here, A, B, I'm sorry, it's, it's on the screen. Thank you, folks. Will you guys get together on this? Let me just bump it up here a little bit. I'm going to pull this down a little, if that'll mess up nothing. All right, we're going to be here now. Now, here's the other way that they describe him in the Old Testament. He would come as a conqueror and execute judgment on the wicked. This was another way it was described. And I'm going to read a few verses to show you that. Now, this is all in the Old Testament now. So I want you to go to Jeremiah, Jeremiah uh, 23, 5, and that's in that part B there. You see it there. 23, 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. So this is a description that he will come Come as a king and he'll execute judgment and justice in the earth. Now I'm going to go to Isaiah. This is another verse of scripture. Uh, not another, but it's in Isaiah. Go to Isaiah if you would with us. And uh, look at verse 11 if you would please. Isaiah 11. I'm going someplace with this, so stay with me. This is 11.1. And then I'm going to read verse 4. 11.1 then 4. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch. Of course, we know that, that Jesse was the father of David and Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus was from David. Uh, it's just come a, a stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Down in verse four. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth and he shall smite the earth with a rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Now, are you getting the picture here of another picture that was being presented to Israel that the Messiah, when he came, would be like? You understand what we're pointing out to you here? Uh, while you're in Isaiah, look in 34.2. 34.2. Isaiah 34, 2. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations and his fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them. He hath delivered them to the slaughter. Look at verse 8. Jumping down to verse 8, just to save time here. It talks about more of this. But verse 8, for it is the day of the Lord's vengeance 
and the year of recompense for the controversy of Zion. I'm pointing out to you here another picture of the coming of the Messiah. And then finally, if you look in that last scripture that I have in that B part, it's Psalms 2 and 2. If you'll turn to Psalms 2 and 2 very quickly here. Psalms 2 and 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now look at verse 19, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Boy, that, you know, not like Jesus at all. He didn't do those things. I should break him with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. I'm in verse 9, verse 10. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rebuke with trembling. And so it gives us another picture here of how the Lord, praise the Lord, it will come as, as he will come with force and he'll come with power and he'll come to judge the world. Now, the question we got, we're going to ask you here is then why did Jesus close the book? over there in Luke 4, 16 through 21. Now, if you have your Bibles, I won't, let's, uh, let's go back to that verse. Okay, don't read it again. I'm gonna read that last part. I'm going back here to uh, Luke 4. This is the one that's at the top of your page. And he read it, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive and the recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it to the minister that had it. Closed the book right there. Now, I want you to go, if you would, with me, praise the Lord, to why he closed the book. Go to Isaiah 61. Now, this is where I am right now, right here. Go to Isaiah 61. This is where that's taken from. Yeah, let me find it. Yeah, here we go. Isaiah 61, and I'm going to read to you here uh, verses 1 and 2. Everybody with me? Everybody's still with me? Vaguely, but you're still with me. All right, hang in there. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. This is what Jesus was reading when he went into the, to that uh, synagogue in, 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 uh, in Nazareth. Good, uh, he had sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And look at the next phrase. This is why he closed the book. And the day of vengeance of our God. You see that? So that's what Jesus did not read. Everybody with me? I don't think you're with me on this. In Luke, that's what he closed the book on. He was partly through that verse and never finished the verse. And I'm reading it just a little bit here again. He reads that same thing in, in, uh, in, in Isaiah 61. 
reading, and he says to proclaim liberty to the captive and the opening of the prisons to them that are bound to proclaim, verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And that next part, Jesus never read, he closed the book. And the day of vengeance of our God, because when Jesus came, he was the Messiah who came in a subservient fashion, and he did not come to bring vengeance and justice and judgment upon the world at that time. Praise the Lord. So the Bible in the Old Testament gives a picture of the Messiah coming as a judge, and they also give him a picture as coming also as a as a, as a Messiah, lowly, humble, and a king riding upon a donkey. Um, I, hope I want you to get a picture of this because this is why that this is such a difference. So this is why that Jesus came, praise the Lord, that first time. Uh, compare Zechariah. Look at that next part there. I want you to compare Zechariah uh, 9, 9 with Revelation 19. Look at Zechariah 9, 9 for a moment. Zechariah 9, 9. All right. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh riding. Uh, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding up on a donkey and upon a colt of a donkey. That's, that's the previous one. I'm sorry, I got the wrong one here. Okay, now, yeah, that's the one I wanted to read. He rides upon a donkey. Now go to Revelation 19 with me. Revelation 19. And I want you to read the 11th verse. Revelation 19, 11. Then I'm going to talk to you in a minute. I'm just about getting to where I'm going to do I'm going to talk to you a little bit from my heart. Look at Revelations 19, 11 through 16. And I saw the heavens open, behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and a righteousness, and he had judge, and he doth judge and make war. This is where the other scriptures are being are going to be fulfilled. They have not yet been fulfilled. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Verse 15, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall judge them with a rod of iron. <clears throat> and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this is the way Jesus will come the next time. But the first time he came lowly, he came lowly. And the spirit by which he came the first time, folks, is still with us today. That's what is still with us now. He has not yet, what I'm reading in Revelation, it has not yet happened. It was prophesied that it would happen. There are other scriptures that speak about it. It was prophesied, but that has not yet happened. But Jesus came the first time lowly. Uh, here's a scripture that's not in your notes, but if you look at 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 9. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. You just put it on the, uh, where is it? 
1 Thessalonians 5, 9. I know that's not in the notes here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. There it is. 5, 9. Like a 9, 10. 8, 9, 10. Can you hear me okay? Okay. But God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus came... He is not appointed to give us wrath, his wrath, as you will read over in the book of Revelation. But he came to bring to us salvation. And he came to us, praise the Lord, to obtain salvation by the Lord in a very lowly fashion, very humble fashion. This is the way the Lord came to us the first time, praise the Lord. Look in Philippians 2.7. Philippians 2.7. This is another verse of scripture that's not in the notes here. Philippians 2, 7, if you would. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, Jesus did, and was made in the likeness of men. Speaking about God coming the first time, not to bring judgment and not to bring Armageddon and not to come and destroy the wicked, but he came, praise the Lord, riding upon a donkey, lowly. Everything about the Lord, folks, was very lowly and very humble and very insignificant. And the Lord had a reason for that. He had a reason for that. Now, number four, I'm going to talk to you a little bit. The nail prints in his hand. The Bible talks about that, and I'll talk to you a little bit about it here in the scriptures as well. But when Jesus came... He came in such a lowly fashion that he wants you and I to understand that's how we can identify with Jesus and that's how we touch the Lord, that that's how we get next to Jesus is by being humble before the Lord. There's no place in the kingdom of God for arrogancy. Now, as far as I know, there is no arrogancy in this church. I don't know if anybody is arrogant. This is a great congregation and I'm fully aware of it. But I'm just saying that this is something that we as God's people must always be careful that we never have a high-minded, arrogant spirit because if there was anything Jesus did, he came in a very lowly and humble fashion that he might help us, that he may reach us. And there are people who come to the Lord and they've got all kinds of problems they got background situations, and sometimes a person can feel like, I am so far out. There's no way in the world that Jesus could see anything worth saving in me. But my friend, that's what he came to do. Praise the Lord, to save anyone who would call on the Lord and come unto him and seek his face and call upon the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Uh, I want to talk to you about the, the identity of the Lord here. Look at number four here. I want you to go to John 20 and 19 for a moment here. John 20 and 19. And uh, it says, The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be still. This is after his resurrection. Jesus had died on the cross, suffered. Now he was risen from the dead, and he appeared unto his disciples. Look at verse 20. 
And when he had so said, he showed himself, he showed them his hands and his side. He identified himself. My hands and my side. And, uh, and then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Now, I'm going to jump over here to verse 24, just a few verses down, down. But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Verse, 20, verse 25, the other disciples were therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. And after eight days, again, the disciples were within and Thomas with them. And then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, and he knew what Thomas had said already, though he wasn't there. Reach hither thy finger and behold thy hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithful, faithless, but believing. And verse 28 Thomas didn't have to do that. Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. And verse 29, Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. <coughs> Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. God bless you. God bless all of God's people from the time of that early church right on down. Never seen the Lord, but we believe, hallelujah. And we don't have to see the nail prints, but they're there, they're there. And the Bible tells us in scriptures that they would be an identity of the Lord. I'm gonna read that one in Psalms 22:16. Psalms 22:16. if you look very quickly there with me. And uh, this is, uh, where it talks about it. For the dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierce my hands and my feet. And then verse 18 says, they part my garments among them, cast lots upon my vesture. We know all that happened to Jesus at Calvary. Amen. And this was all because of that, <clears throat> of their unbelief. Uh, and then over in Zechariah 13, 6, and one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. These are all prophecies in the Old Testament, Psalms and Zechariah, that Jesus would show them his hands and say, here's the nail prints in my hand. Praise the Lord. What a, what a humble thing to show the Lord to identify who he is, that he's king of kings and Lord of lords and that he's everything. And I want to just talk to you, if, if you'll allow me to do so a little bit here, I want to talk to you from my heart here a little bit tonight about how the Lord will respond to humility. The Bible tells us that. The Bible says, you know, that we should be humble in all things. And if I were to go back to part three here, it talks about that, about being humble here. James talks about it. Uh, Peter talks about it. Uh, they talk about how that the Lord wants us to be humble because the Lord was humble. It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up in due, due time. 
It's ironic that both James and Peter both mentions that. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up in due time. Now, why are you saying that, Brother Myers? Because, folks, if there's anything that will help us to reach God and touch God, it's being humble. It's being humble. God uses humility. He does not use pride and arrogance. He doesn't use talent always. He can and he does. But it's not by our talent that God will use us. It's not our gifts. Some of us have gifts above everybody else. Some of us have gifts that's just that's awesome. But if there's no humility, God cannot use them. And God will not use them. But at the same time, God will take the most humble and he'll raise them up and he will use them. I remember, you'll pardon me for using a personal illustration here, but years ago, I was, when I was just turned 17 years old, my birthday's in July, 1st of September, I boarded a bus in Tampa, Florida with a box of, shoe box full of boiled eggs and boiled potatoes that my mother gave me. And my dad and my mom stood by outside and waved at me while I got on a 2,000 mile journey to go to St. Paul, Minnesota to go to Bible school. I'd never been there. I just knew they'd accepted me. And I just, I was young and had that shoe box. My mom said, if you get hungry, eat this. I had just enough money for my tuition and probably a week or two board, room and board. And I was trying to save as much as I could. So I didn't eat anything on the whole trip except what was in that shoebox. Now, I'm just giving you my picture. I had, I think I had two suits. I had one suit and a change of clothes, another suit I had bought just before I left. And, and, and we had to wear a suit and tie every day. Then I had a combination of another. I had a pair of pants and a, and a, and a sport jacket that I could interchange with one of the suits. And so I could come up with five sets of changes of clothes. And I headed out, I took off. And I, and I headed off up there. And when I got up there and I got mixing around those people, I thought, you know, I don't know if I belong with this crowd. I'd only been saved for about five months. And I said, I, I don't know. These guys, are, they, they got nice clothes. They got nice things, you know. I got a job working at Montgomery Ward four hours a day, and they paid me 91 cents an hour. I got just enough money to pay my room and board, $14 a week, and have about $2 left over. And, uh, and that was just about what my, half of that was my tithes. And you, know, you get the picture here? That was it. Now my dad said, son, if you need the money, write us. I said, dad, mom, God will take care of me. They weren't saved, and I wanted to show them God could take care of me. I said, God will take care of me. Boy, when I got up there, the pickings were thin, real thin. That was me. But I had a roommate, a guy by the name of Lee Cook. He was from Missouri. Lee got a job at, uh, at uh, Swift's Packet Plant. He worked, worked till 11 o'clock at night, worked a full shift from 3 to 11 after school was out. Came home, and Lee was a smart guy. But what I found out about Lee was that just sometime months before, his father had lost a leg in a corn-picking machine. If you're from the Midwest or anything about farming, you know what that can be, I guess. And they said, son, you're the oldest one of the family. We need you here. He said, mom, 
Dad, I need to go to school because God's called me to preach. I need to prepare myself. If you'll let me go, I'll send money back home and I'll make enough money there that I can send money home back here to help the family. And every week that guy took a big portion of cut of his paycheck and mailed it back home. I didn't know that. So he and I was poor, he was poor, and we weren't the only ones. There's a few others like us. Now, the reason I'm telling you all of that is that I grew to really appreciate this guy. And they had a thing, listen closely to what I'm saying. They had a thing where that we had a, a, a 20-minute break about 10, 10 o'clock, 10.30 every morning between classes. And you could go into the coffee shop and get a coffee and a little donut or you could, you know, or they had a ping pong table and guys played ping pong. And then you go back to class. Or, and I found this out after being there a week or so, or you could go upstairs to a place that was one of the prayer room, classrooms, prayer room. And some of the students went there and prayed that 20 minutes. Now, some played ping pong, some prayed. Some made donuts and drank coffee and some prayed. I found out real quick, I got to be one of the ones that's praying because I'm not going to make it if I don't. And I found my friend Lee Cook in there too. And Lee was praying. And he was saying to me, Myers, let's go to the, let's go to the prayer room. I said, let's go, Cook. And everything. We encouraged each other like that. And I mean, it was thin. And, you know, I finally got a pay raise and I got another one. And my hours picked up a little bit and things improved along the way. But for a long time, I had to stay on the bus when they went by the restaurant and they all got off on Sunday afternoon after church and went in and snacked, you know, and ate. And then they went on to the dormitory. But Lee and I had to stay on the bus. And, and then there's a few others like us. I'm just trying to give you a picture here. Instead of just saying, oh, me or oh, my, we begin to pray. Now, in that ping pong room, that was a guy who was the best ping pong player you had ever seen in your life. Uh, they called him Spike because he could spike the ball. He could just hit that ball right across that net, right back on you. You didn't have a chance to. And whoever was undefeated stayed up on that ping pong table, and the other one had to give it up to the next guy, and they took turns. And it got where the Spike was always playing ping pong. He played the whole 20 minutes ping pong because he was the champion. He was a champion. Until long over about February, he dropped out of school. His first year, he only went three or four months and dropped out of school. He didn't make it. You know why? Because he became so good at ping pong, but he never learned to pray and never touched God. And there's a humility that's involved in that. I don't care how poor you are. I don't care how, how little you've got. I don't care what your conditions. I came, I came home awards one day. And I said, I, I'm not going to make it. I'm, just, I'm not going to make it. I came home and work, and I walked through that cold weather. It was cold. Ble- you know, folks, Minnesota gets cold. And I, and I, I walked from wards to the way on down, about five blocks of the dormitory. Wind was blowing. I had my overcoat turned up, you know. And uh, I got there. I laid down on my bunk bed, and I said, I'm not going to make it. I'm just not going to make it. I guess I'm going to have to just give up and go home. And I closed my eyes, dropped off to sleep. And I woke up when Lee was there getting, changing things, and he, is a, he had the bunk above me, the bed above me on the bunk. And he looked at me, and he said, what's wrong, Myers? I said, Lee, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to go, nope, you're going to make it. 
I said, no, I, I said, honestly, I just, I can't go any further. I've gone as far as I can go. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm broke. I don't have nothing. I'm cold. He said, Myers, you're going to make it. We're going to make it together. I am not going to let you go home. Boy, he talked like to me. Finally, I said, all right, all right, okay, okay. I'll keep plugging. I'll keep pushing. A month later, I came in, and he was laid on his bunk. And he said, Myers, I'm not going to make it. I said, yes, you are, Lee. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Now, this is what we're doing. I'm just trying to tell you the, the, the battle. But we were learning that Jesus was there. Praise the Lord. And it wasn't the crown that we saw on his head. Praise the Lord. It was the nail prints in his hand. Now, I have a little book here, a little course book. And uh, I told you I'm going to talk to from my heart here a little bit. This is a little course book. It's got courses many of you may not know, but I know just about every one of them. And these were songs that we'd, we would pray, and then we, when we finished praying, we still had time. We would sing courses in that prayer room. And this is one that we would sing a lot. I'd never heard it before. I learned it, and I never forgot it. And it's right here in the book. It said, standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. He's the only one who cares and understands. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you will find him. And you'll know him by the crown on his head. You'll know him by the robe on his shoulders. No, it doesn't say that. And you'll know him by the nail prints in his hand. Do you understand what we're saying? Jesus came and presented himself in the lowest fashion. And his identity would be the nail prints in his hand. And he would pray and I'd sing that chorus. And sometime when I'd get discouraged, I'd sing that song. I'd say, Lord, you paid a big price for me. You went to Calvary for me. Jesus, you, you did all of that for me. And Lord, I, I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to fail you. Praise the Lord. And there are other courses in here like that, you know, and I could just read all kinds to you. But I just want to tell you here that this is the way the Lord is. And God wants every one of us to make it. Some of you go through things. Some of you may be going through things now. There may be somebody here tonight that you're going through some things and you don't know how you're going to make it. You don't know if you will make it. But I'm telling you, Jesus loves you. You'll never know how much he loves you. This is not the time of judgment. Thank God. It's not here yet. God has a, This is the time of the church. It's the time that the Lord has given us that he's reaching out to us. Praise the Lord. But it won't be with a high, mighty, and arrogant, high-minded spirit. But it'll be, praise the Lord, with a humble attitude that the Lord has for us. Uh, there was a guy in the school when I was there. He was, in fact, he was in my class. And uh, he's from Texas. And he said he'd gone to Bible school because the Lord had called him to preach and he was going to preach the gospel. The only problem was that he had a high-pitched voice like a girl. His voice never changed when he reached puberty. Never changed. His name was Earl Story. His, name, his voice never changed. And he had a high-pitched voice. And he had a beautiful personality. He got a job working at a in a shop where there's a bunch of girls and women and he'd, he's a typer, he typed the letters and things like that. And those girls would say, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to Bible school. What are you studying? 
uh, I'm studying for the ministry. God's called me to preach the gospel. God's called me to preach the gospel. I was, you know, he had that high-pitched voice. And they'd say, oh, really? Yeah, and then laugh a little bit, yeah, and everything. And this is the way everybody, and the students in school, hey, Earl, you, you're going to preach? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to preach the gospel, you know. God's called me to preach. And he had that high-pitched voice. Well, you say, well, poor God, I mean, there's nothing nobody can do about that. Now, don't kid yourself. God called him. He was humble. He believed in God. He was paying the price. And one night and on Sunday night, they were praying at the altar, prayed people through to the Holy Ghost. Young students were praying for other students that didn't have the Holy Ghost. And he was one that did have the Holy Ghost. And he prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And when he laid down and went to sleep that night and woke up the next morning, his voice was gone. Amen. Gone. He had no voice. Couldn't even talk. You know how you can pray hard and you lose your voice, right? And everything. And uh, he didn't have no voice. And next day, his voice still gone. And uh, got checked out of the doctor. The doctor says, well, your voice will come back in about three days. It'll come back. You're just hoarse right now. Okay. Third day, roll around. No voice. Fourth day, his voice came back. And it was every bit as low as mine is right now. A masculine, low voice. And then they said, oh, well, that will change. It'll be low for a while, and then it'll go back to the high voice. Folks, it never did. Amen. I was with him in school for three years up in there. He was in our class. Earl Storey's voice never went back high. The first year, it went low after about halfway through the school, and it stayed low. When he got out of school and graduated, he married a young, fine young lady from Texas, and they went out and started evangelizing. And he said, one day I'm going to pastor. But he started evangelizing. They started doing children's ministries. He preached all over this nation in, in camp meetings and all over the camp meetings and conferences. And he'd do, take those, those children's classes. He had a fabulous ministry. Nobody could touch him with that. I'm just trying to tell you that God can do things with people you don't, you don't know how because he came lowly. And the lowly, he looks at it, he regards, because it's the humbleness of our spirit. Praise the Lord, the humility. How many of you ever heard of Alan Oggs? I see a number of hands here. I see several. All of you that know him know what an amazing person he was. I'm going to tell you about Alan. Alan Oggs was uh, actually about my age. He died several years ago. He's not living now. But... Uh, Alan Oggs had muscular cirrhosis or cerebral palsy or something, but it was like this. And when he walked, he, he wiggled and he had a little slur in his speech. And ever since he was a kid, he told people he was going to be a preacher. They'd push him down as a kid and he couldn't get back up. He'd roll around the ground and struggle trying to get back to his feet. That's how kids were. He's from Louisiana. And Alan Oggs grew up saying, God's called me to preach and everything. He believed it with all of his heart. And everybody said, yeah, right, you're right, Alan, yeah. Listen, folks, I, he's preached here at this pulpit. He's preached right here. He has more than once. I've seen him preach at general conferences, camp meetings. This guy would, would walk up to the platform like this, up to the pulpit, I mean, on the platform. 
And people who had never heard him will sit in the audience and go, this is the expressions you'd see all over. They look at each other. What's this? This guy is supposed to be our preacher tonight? And he would get up to that, that pulpit, never say a word, squeak up and down that microphone, get it just right, get himself braced and the right people, open his Bible, take his text in a little bit of a slurred speech and take off preaching, folks. And he'd preach for a solid hour and nobody would walk out. You folks that know him or remember him, am I not right? No one would walk out. People were spellbound by his ministry. He had a fantastic ministry. And that's what you would think be the last person to try to get in the pulpit and preach. And when he got all through, all he said was, I want, if you want the Lord tonight, I want you to come to this altar. If you want anything from God, come. And that altar would fill up with people. They're crying their eyes out, praying to God, praying through to the Holy Ghost. People wanting to get baptized. This is the kind of ministry he had. He was pastor for a long time in Gainesville, Florida. He was also uh, one of the, the teachers. He was one of the leaders at one of our Bible colleges and uh, had great influence on the young people. I'm just trying to tell you, God can use anybody. Amen. God can use anybody. And God wants you and I, praise the Lord, to know that God is able, praise the Lord, he's able to raise up somebody. It doesn't matter who you are. God can use you for the kingdom of God, but we have to be humble. There's no place in God's kingdom for arrogancy. Now you say, well, Brother Myers, you're telling us about, you know, people in the ministry, Ellen Oggs, and about, you know, about, you know, Lee Cook. This fellow, Lee Cook, when he graduated from ABI, he went to Missouri, built a fabulous church, great church, southeast Missouri. It was, was popular, known all over that part of the, the country for years. I'm only telling you, folks, that God will use us if we'll be humble before the Lord and always keep ourselves humble in, in his sight. Praise God. Now, you say, well, that was all in the ministry and everything. Uh, I have a friend. I want to tell you about him. He grew up in a home missionary church in Kentucky. His father was a pastor of a home missionary church. Just a handful of people, probably 15, 20, 25 people in that little home missionary church where he grew up. And, uh, and he, he walked with God and his dad would always say to him, son, you be faithful to God and God will always be faithful to you. Be faithful to God in everything. Pay your tithes. Be always liberal in giving it to God. Always be mindful of the things of the Lord. And he was just a poor kid. His, his family had no money in. He goes, oh, you're one of them holy rollers. The kids would pick on him. You're one of them holy rollers. You're one of those kids that, you know, you don't, you know, and they'd, they'd make fun of him because the little old church down there at the end of the blacktop, you know, on the dirt road, whatever it is, you know, just real humble everything. And he grew up, went off to, went to school for a little bit, had to drop out. He couldn't make it, didn't have the money. He went to, went to the outskirts of Detroit, opened up a, opened his garage door up in his house where he lived and opened it up and made a little tool and die shop, started making tool and die things and everything. 
he started making some dude and dyes and bought some plastic, overall plastic, and boiled it down and made plastic stuff. He got a little contract with somebody, you know, on and on. Started making plastic stuff. He grew that little business until he, he, he was the sixth largest plastic company in America. In America. Bill Duke is his name. Some of you folks know him. He was the sixth largest plastic company in America. He eventually had all the contracts on General Motors and Ford automobiles, all the little knobs and handles and everything on the dashboard. He had a contract on making all of those little things, every one of them. He kept on. He kept on, just kept on. And you know what? All the time he paid his tithes faithfully. He gave to missions. He gave to missions. And he told, you know, one of our, one of our missionary leaders was a guy that uh, I had gone to school with. His name was Jack. And uh, Jack says, this fellow, this fellow, you know him, you know, about this guy named Duke. Uh, he wants us to send him a bill to tell the amount of missions, you know, for so much. We don't do that. I said, well, then, okay, he probably won't send you the, the money either. That's the way he operates. You send him the bill, he, he pays the bill. And because he told me, the Duke says, that's the way I operate. That's the way I run my business, everything. So he said, no, we're not going to do that. Next, thing I, next time I saw Jack, I said, hey, Jack, how you doing? He said, what happened to Duke? He dropped off the radar. He doesn't mail any money into missions anymore. I said, do you send him a bill? No. I said, you have to send him a bill. He said, well, I guess it'd be worth it. I said, yeah, it's worth it because he gives you $10,000 a month to missions, 10000 a month. And he was saying, whoa, we really miss that money. So I mentioned it to Bill when I saw him, and he said, yeah, I'm sending it to Mexico down there to a missions work down there. I'm paying 10000 a month to missions, but it's going to Mexico down there to a missions, an apostolic church group down there, not UPC. <laughs> so I told Jack, I said, Jack, you're going to have to really work with them. You're going to have to really talk to them. You're going to make, you're gonna have to be able to make amends if you want him sending you $10,000 a month. I'm just trying to tell you here, praise the Lord. Uh, he's, he eventually owned uh, seven corporations. He sold one corporation for $57 million. Sold it. Now, folks, when you'd, when you'd see him, if he, if, he was, if he walked in this church, he'd be sitting in the back. He'd be so calm, low-keyed. You know. I mean, I'm just trying to tell you here that he never lost the humility. And he told me, Brother Myers, I learned a long time ago, I pay my tithes. And I try to give to missions and everything that I possibly can. He said, because God is faithful and everything I have comes from God. Everything I have comes from the Lord. And that guy, I don't know, the last I heard, he was worth over $100 million. I'm serious. And it was this, I mean, the last time I heard about that part of it. And I'm just trying to say, and yet when you meet him, he's just, he's just indifferent about it. I made trips with him, but never took a nickel from him. We always did our half. I did half. He did. Never, never anything. I never wanted him to think I was sponging off him. We went to Israel together on a trip one time, Israel trip. I'm just trying to tell you here that he was just such a low-key guy. We walked on the, the uh, Via, Via Della Rosa where Jesus walked, and it was through an Arab section. And we were the group of people, and we had them ahead of us, and Bill and I stayed back a little bit to make sure that nobody lagged behind and got sucked off into one of these stores or shopping or something and got missed their group because it was a little bit dangerous. 
And I noticed that there was guys sizing us up. They would walk past us, look us over, go past, walk down there a little bit, look around at some products and come back and look at us real good. I said, Bill, I said, uh, we better step it up and get up a little closer to the group. I said, I think we're being sized up. He said, I think so too. I picked up on that. Now what was going through my mind was that I may have to fight for him and me because he was a smaller built guy than I was. I'm tall and he's a little bit shorter. What he was thinking was, I have a black belt in karate and I got to fight for me and Brother Myers. <laughs> so he was thinking, I got to protect him and me. And I was thinking, I got to protect him and me. That's what was going through our mind. We later compared notes about it. But I'm just telling you that he's a wonderful guy like that. He's retired now, don't have to work. He's got his money, he sold all of his businesses and everything. You know what he does for a hobby? He does a stock market. And he's a winner. He wins all the time. He studies that stuff. He said, I just do it for fun. And his daughter was telling us not long ago, she said, he's making money constantly. He's making money on the money, but, he, he, but he's giving it to missions. He's giving it to the work of God. He's giving it out because he said it all comes from God anyhow. Now, I'm telling you that story because I want you to understand it's not always just in the ministry that God will bless. But folks, if we will learn that Jesus still has the nail prints in his hand to us. And he wants to save anybody who wants to be saved. He could bring you out of any kind of situation. If you've got financial troubles, he can bring you out of those things. But we have to be faithful to God and we have to say, Jesus, I'm in your hands, I'm at your mercy. We are nothing. We are just, we're just sinners saved by grace. And that's why many of you are here today. You know, you know, You've just said, Lord, here I am. I have asked God many times, Lord, how was it that you ever sent the word of God to my part of the country where my grandmother got saved, my grandfather and, and other people like that and other relatives and so forth. And just God began to save and people like that. And eventually I got saved, you know, and eventually my mother did got saved. Eventually my father got saved. My sisters and brother, they're all, they all came into church. I was the first one. And I'm just trying to tell you here today, folks, that if we would just walk with God and believe in the Lord and trust him with all of our hearts, there's nothing that God can't do. He came, praise the Lord, as a savior. He came riding on a donkey. Amen. Not riding on that stallion. Not riding on the white horse and like, like a Napoleon or something or like Alexander the Great. He had a black one and he'd ride and stand up on the hind legs and, and the men said, there's our leader, you know, no, not that kind of a, no, no. He came riding upon a donkey and the donkey had a, 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 had a little coat and the coat was nursing the mother. And that's why that the coat was staying next to the mother. Then Jesus sat on that coat with his legs over and hang over, hanging over the coat even. I'm just trying to tell you here what, what a humble picture of the king riding into Jerusalem. But he's our Lord. And he went to Calvary for us. And he shed his blood. And they spit in his face and they pulled out his beard. And they put a crown of thorns on his head and it ran his face. And they took a whip and they beat him. They beat him until the blood ran from his back. And now every, every lash hurt, every thorn hurt. And then finally they nailed him to the cross. And he hung there on that cross for three hours for us. And I'm just trying to say here today 
Let's live for God. Let's serve the Lord. Let's believe in Him. Let's trust in Him with all of our hearts. And if we will do it, folks, God will help us. He'll give us victory. He'll help us to overcome our battles. And I'm going to tell you something else. There are souls out there that need to hear the Word of God yet. The Lord is still in the saving business. You understand what I'm saying? He's not in the judgment business yet. He's in the saving business, and I'm so glad he is. And he wants to <coughs> <coughs> Oh, I got carried away there. Let's stand and praise God. Let's thank Him.